Well, hello and welcome to episode number 354 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's news pack show, we look at that abandoned British Airways training facility, which has still got loads of goodies inside. JetBlue unveils a very posh new seat for its US to London flights, and we take a look at what will be the world's smallest airport. In the military this week, the Italian Navy are on their way to pick up new fighters. Retired Israeli F-16s get a new lease of life. And a rare collection of V-bomber cockpits goes up for auction. Get your credit cards ready. (laughs) So joining me this week, as always, it's the man who got very excited this week when I came round to uh, drop something off at his. It's Matt Smith. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that we were live, I wouldn't dignify that with a response. I'm oh. on behalf of the PTUK listeners. Oh, I, I'm sorry. That's all I can do, really, isn't it? That's horrendous. Um, that's all I have to say on that. Moving on. Well, they were free range. What more can I say? <laughs> they were free range. They're very nice eggs. Thank you. Yes. Good. Good. How how, how are things this week in the world of uh, well world, world of wine? I suppose. Man? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a new world for me. There's no two ways about it. You know, many of you know that I'm a I'm a coach driver by trade, but uh, obviously, what with uh, what's going on at the moment, there isn't much call for the odd trip to London currently. So. Uh, Yes, so I'm currently working for a little company, I say little, a company called Naked Wines at the moment, and I'm currently enjoying, <laughs> one moment caller, uh, I'm currently enjoying a very nice glass of the uh, the Benjamin Dano uh, Picole de Pinot, which is a very nice sort of Pinot Grigio type sort of A bit worried wine. about that bottle, Matt, it's, yeah, it's almost bit, uh, see-through. Yeah, a bit like your phone when you were trying to show us what was in the <laughs> pot earlier, but anyway, there we go. So yeah, so I'm currently enjoying that. Not that anyone Good. really cares. Uh, Nev, uh, as you're here, what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, well, I have just finished a, a minor Pinot Grigio. Oh, have you from from uh, Sainsbury's at four ninety nine? Uh, but I'm now on the water. Um, oh, you know, water! So. What tap water? Yes, straight out of tap. Ironically, yeah, it's probably got more alcohol in it. Than the, no, anyway, it's the finest. Yeah. <laughs> So Nev, you've not been doing any flying, but obviously uh, you you are still still busy. Flying? So, What's that? So how, I know. So how how have the um, four hundred and sixty thousand Zoom calls been? <laughs> well, you know, it just it gives me a chance to look at different technologies. And could I just say, Microsoft Teams? Oh my goodness! Could you just sort it out? Oh my goodness! Myself and Nev were on a on a tech oh. call yesterday evening, just before we started our production meeting. It was quite a challenge, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? They've not thought it through, have they? No, indeed. And I, and I do complain about Zoom having two, you know, software updates per week. Yes, but boy, I've got to say, they those guys have got it bang on in terms of I uh, agree. the experience and the audio and video quality. And yet, they? you'd have oh, thought fine. because uh, Teams is mostly modelled. My understanding is that a lot of the technologies in Teams has actually come from Skype. That's right. So, Skype, I mean, you'd, you'd think that, you know, I mean, they not being funny, but, you know, Skype was the granddaddy of, of video calls. It was. And, 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 it was and believe it or not, you know, Gemma, as you know, Gemma works for the NHS. Yes. And it is their chosen oh, no, no, platform no. of choice. They're not, they're not alone. They're not alone. Yeah. Teams is, is, a, is a... Anyway, this has got nothing to do with aviation. Why but are you even, talking about even Gemma says it's rubbish anyway, so <laughs> oh, there we wow, go. Okay. So uh, we are missing a member of the team this week, unfortunately, Armando... Uh, we have uh, been sent a little picture, though. Uh, he, 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 has he, he is watching us, though. Uh, <laughs> he's in his hotel room at the moment. Nev has a glorious picture of you there. Uh, <laughs> uh, is that beautiful? Oh, that yes. is a stunning picture, isn't it? 
Look Beautiful. at that. Dedication to the cause look. Sat there with his little... He looks, he, has he even got a little Bluetooth speaker underneath of it to make sure the I sound is all right? I, I like it. I'm impressed. There we I are. love the picture uh, on the wall. Yeah, cable management, not that happy with that, I've got to say. But, uh... what, one cable? <laughs> yeah, a bit, bit, bit too poorly yeah, okay. Yeah, so if, if anyone else has uh, uh, any other examples of decent cable management, just to keep uh, Nev happy, of course, uh, then why not send a WhatsApp into the studio? Plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. And Call this week's now. show is Sorry. sponsored by Velcro. Anyway, we've got uh, a weekly Velcro to do. <laughs> you <The> cable management. <laughs> Moving on. Is uh, we've got a weekly roundup. You're week, right, Carl. Uh, I'm fine. Yeah, you've been we sniffing have... the wood glue again. No, it gorilla glue. <laughs> oh, right, um, stronger. <laughs> we have got uh, a very special happy birthday oh. to, uh, to wish this week for someone who is in the live YouTube chat oh, room cool. this week. So a very happy birthday to Laura Davies. <clears throat> a happy birthday, happy to, birthday you. to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Laura. Happy birthday to you. Join in, Nev. So... Uh, well, yeah, the delay would have been too horrific. <laughs> I think. Right. Okay. Let, let alone being out. Anyway, have, right. have a, hope you're having a lovely day, Laura. Uh, toast to toast. To Absolutely. Laura. Yes. Everybody, charge their glasses. Yes. Ah, oh, yes. there we go. Lane, Lane is cheering uh, uh, Laura's health as well. Well done, Lane. Cheers, everyone. Yes, hope you're having a great day and uh, enjoy... This, this uh, is this is very enjoy. weird, ladies and gentlemen, because the studio is not being controlled by me at the moment. It's being it controlled scary. from someone else, by someone else. It's very weird, very weird, but cool. I like it. So we have uh, got a very special video to play that's uh, been oh, yes, to us have. by Armando, and obviously it's a very important subject as well, which has been very much uh, in the news and in our thoughts this week. So uh, if you're ready to play that... Yes, absolutely. We'll hand over to the legend that is Armando. It is with great sadness that we report that Britain's Captain Tom Moore, the World War II veteran who lifted the nation's spirits by raising millions of pounds for health service workers battling the coronavirus, died on Tuesday at the age of 100 after he contracted the COVID-19 virus. Moore struck a chord with lockdown Britain by walking around his garden uh, with the help uh, of a frame to raise uh, 38.9 million pounds or about $53 million for the National Health Service. His endeavor and wit spread joy amid the grim news of the coronavirus outbreak. Moore's message to the world was that the sun would shine again and that the clouds would clear. Uh, It is with great sadness that we announce the death of our dear father, Captain Sir Tom Moore, his daughter said in a statement uh, following his death on Tuesday morning at Bedford Hospital in central England. Over the last five years, he had been receiving treatment for prostate uh, and skin cancer, his family said. Uh, He was fighting pneumonia and was taken to the hospital after testing positive for COVID-19 on January 22nd, uh, unable to be vaccinated due to other medications that he was taking. Uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Queen Elizabeth led the tributes to Captain Moore whose exploits won global admiration. Uh, Prime Minister Johnson, who spoke to Moore's daughter, Hannah, to pass on his condolences, said, Captain Tom Moore was a hero in the truest sense of the word. He became not just a national inspiration, but a beacon of hope 
for the, uh, for the world. Now the flag above his Downing Street office was lowered to half-mast in order to honor Captain Moore. The Queen, who knighted Moore at Windsor Castle last summer in recognition of his efforts, will send a message of private condolence to the family, according to Buckingham Palace, adding that the 94-year-old monarch had very much enjoyed meeting Captain Sir Tom. Her thoughts and those of the royal family are with them, recognizing the inspiration that he provided for the whole nation and others across the world, the palace said. The White House also paid tribute to a man who inspired millions through his life and his actions. When Moore, dressed in a blazer and tie, uh, started his sponsored walk at his home in a village about 50 miles north of London, he had hoped to raise about a thousand pounds. Instead, he amassed a world record sum for the National Health Service with his quiet determination and cheerful outlook winning the hearts of the British public and honestly the world. His daughters said, the last year of our father's life was nothing short of remarkable. He was rejuvenated and experienced things he'd only ever dreamed of. While he'd been in so many hearts for just a short time, he was an incredible father and a grandfather, and he will stay alive in our hearts forever. Such was his fame that his 100th birthday was marked by a message from the Prime Minister, a promotion to the rank of Colonel, and flybys by both historic planes uh, and modern RAF helicopters above his home. He received more than 125,000 birthday cards from well-wishers around the world and became the oldest person to reach number one in Britain's main music singles chart, featuring on a cover version of You'll Never Walk Alone. I never, ever anticipated in my life anything like this. It is really amazing, Moore said when he turned 100 years old on April 30th. Thank you very much to everyone, wherever you are. I mean, from one legend to another, let's be honest, I can't think of anyone more perfect or fitting to be leaving a tribute to the legend that is mm. uh, Captain Sir Tom Moore. I mean, um, lovely words there. Um, uh, Armando really good it's um he was he was uh, and I think like in in the whole especially the first lockdown I mean he really did encapsulate one of the few things that's still quite good here in the UK and that is that sort of real community spirit do you know what I mean and he he, he encapsulated all of that didn't he yeah I think Carol Vorderman said it bet or really well on on TV last night when I was watching her talking about Sir Tom, uh, uh, Captain Tom Moore he, she was saying that um, the way he spoke to everyone was yeah. how a gentleman should speak. Absolutely, yeah. So, and let, let's hope it's an, an, an art that isn't um, literally dying off. Mm. I mean, it's just it's just awful. But obviously, our condolences to uh, his wonderful daughter and the rest yes. of the family. Obviously, who were who must be really devastated at this time. But it was lovely. Yeah, it re it really was. Thank thanks, Armando, for that. Yeah, thanks, Armando, for that, and a beautiful background as well. So, I know, wasn't that? I mean, a sunset and a bit. What's the air? Is it a DC three that was behind him? It's a, I think it's a, it's a C forty seven or DC three. C forty seven, like okay. yeah, C forty seven. Oh come uh, on! I was slightly impressed with myself. Well, no, it is it, it, the forty seven was like a, the like the military variant. I right. Think, okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. 
Anyway, wife, yes. memory recollects why. Okay, anyway, going to the chat room, uh, we'll say hello to everyone in the chat room who's joined us this evening. I'm going to run through the list quickly. Richard Adams, hello to you. Stephen H. Lane Street, can't do a show without Lane being in the chat room. Uh, John Jester, hello to you. Nick Codling uh, is in there as well. Hello. Laura Davies, opposite. With her oh, it's a C47. Armando has just you. corrected me. Thanks, Armando. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Richard Adams, Masha, hello to you, Masha. Hope you're well. Our main man, Micah, as well. <gasps> Uncle Micah! Rakon is in there. Captain Cruz, obviously John Jester, we've said. And we've got, um, scrolling down, just in case I don't want to miss anyone, what we could mention. Obviously, Neville Bounds is in there. Never uh, Mark Stephen Priestley. Stand up as well. Yeah. Uh, Mark Priestley, Tony S. Alex Hello, Robinson. Tony S. Alex Robinson and uh, David Corson as well is watching as well tonight. So hello to everyone who joined us. Don't forget, if you are listening to us uh, on your your device, your audio device as a download, don't forget you can join us over on YouTube. Look for us, youtube.com forward slash plain talking UK. And don't forget as well to hit that subscribe button and also the bell icon, which is right next door to that, to be notified when we go live and recording new episodes like we are now because we would love you to be in our chat room, especially if it's your birthday. Very much so, and happy birthday to Laura again. Uh, also, yes. uh, uh, Nev, you know we were we were we put out a plea for uh, cable management only only a few moments ago. Oh boy! Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, John Jester has not let us down. Let me. I'd, I'd like to be interested. What do you What do you think of this as far as cable hotel cable management is uh, concerned? That's, that's quite more like it. That's quite beautiful, isn't it? Lovely. Perfect. Well, I wouldn't expect anything less from John. He's a no, quite. fine fellow when it comes to that kind of thing. So, <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes. Indeed. Not bad Brilliant. for the hotel. Anyway, uh, what's next, Carlos? So we are going to start the show then as we do oh, each week we? with our rundown right. <laughs> of... Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I'm ready. <laughs> ...the weekly news from across... I'll take my time. Across the world. No, no, there's no need. We're, we're ready. Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Let's do it. Everyone's let's ready. <laughs> So, kicking off this week's first news, uh, news story, this is on the BreakingTravelNews.com website. And uh, we all love an app, uh, don't we? We all love an app. So, British Airways are to trial the Very Fly app. So, BA will begin trialling a new travel health app, very apt in this current climate, uh, with customers who are eligible to travel between London and the US from the 4th of February. So the new digital health travel passport, which can be downloaded to a mobile device, is designed to offer peace of mind before travel by checking customers meet the entry requirements of their destination by providing digital health document verification and conforming eligibility. The uh, uh, use of the Verify app will be optional and customers will also continue to be able to evidence their uh, evidence they meet the US entry requirements at check-in so you can take your documents if need be. Uh, the trial follows the recent announcement that American Airlines, British Airways, Joint Businesses and One World Partner now allows all customers to use Verifly when they are traveling to the U.S. from international destinations. Since American uh, became the first airline to use Verifly in November for selected routes, 
Thousands of customers have traveled using the app, with many providing positive feedback to the airline for its ease of use. Uh, BA is the first airline in the UK to trial the use of the mobile travel health passport for customers traveling from London. It will also be the only airline outside the US to offer its customers the opportunity to trial Verifly. Uh, Sean Doyle, British Airways chief executive, good friend of Nev, also he said that also flying is currently restricted. It is essential we do as much as we can now to help those who are eligible to fly and prepare to help our customers navigate the complexities around changing uh, global entry requirements when the world reopens. He says we remain focused and committed to finding user-friendly, evidence-based solutions to make journeys as seamless as they can be. Through these trials, we hope to provide uh, travellers and governments on both sides of the Atlantic with tools and the reassurance they need to make safe travel possible. This is a great idea, I think, if you don't like carrying around 6,000 sheets of A4 paper with various details on. Uh, it doesn't say whether, actually on the, here, whether it's um, going to be on both uh, platforms, iOS or Android, but I'd imagine, I suppose... Oh, I'd imagine so. I can't, I can't imagine they would mm. sort of like... But they, they tend to do a sort of, uh, unless Nev is uh, developing the app, in which case it's only iOS, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> you know, right. yeah. Is this, um, is this something oh. you'll be uh, downloading, oh. Nev? Or? Yeah, definitely, yes. I think it's a great idea. Um, uh, but as Tony S does point out, uh, BA has had some issues in the past with uh, data and breaches of personal data. So, oh, really? Um, I hope, really hope that they've um, made sure that everything is absolutely spot on with this. So, would this, no, I think would it's this a, not a be a great idea? Actually, would this not be with a third party though? Perhaps if it's or, or is it very or, likely? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, it's with uh, with Dayon uh, from what we from what yeah. we understand. But uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Actually, I'm just, I'm just looking on the Android uh, platform for this Uh-oh. app, and the the reviews. Are not great, right? Okay, yeah, but then to be fair, the track and trace app has rather shocking reviews, so I mm. mean, I guess it's uh, yeah. you know, I guess it's what you're expecting uh, of an app, really, isn't it? So, right, <laughs> so we're we going to move on to the uh, next story, Matt. And uh, this one is we're going to go back to a story I think we covered a few weeks back about a certain advert that uh, this, uh, yes, indeed, yes. So, this, uh, many of us will no doubt remember the jab and go ad that uh, was released by Ryanair not that long ago uh, so a couple of sources here BBC and both the Irish Times uh, but basically in summary Ryanair has been told to remove irresponsible adverts depicting allegedly misleading claims about coronavirus vaccinations when the la- when we last covered this story back on episode 350 complaints stood at around 1600 for the ad now the advertising standards authority the ASA here in the UK has said that it's got more than 2,370 complaints, uh, the third highest ever received for an advert. Uh, they encourage people to book holidays with Ryanair after having vaccinations, suggesting consumers could jab and go. Uh, Ryanair advertisers said that the ad did not mislead and made no guarantee that customers would be able to travel. Uh, they said that there was nothing in the advertisement that would encourage people to disregard 
public health guidelines. Three issues were brought to the ASA in the complaints, uh, but only two were upheld. The third, which alleged that Ryanair trivialised lockdown restrictions, was not. Uh, a number of complaints uh, for complainants sorry, felt that the Jab and Go adverts implied that most of the UK population would be successfully vaccinated against COVID-19 by the spring or summer of this year and would be able to go on holiday. Uh, on this point, the ASA concluded that the adverts were misleading. Uh, the watchdog said that uh, given the complexity and fast-changing nature, it was important that advertisers were cautious when linking developments in the UK's response response to the pandemic to specific time frames around which life might return to some level of normality, uh, particularly when linking it to how confident consumers uh, could be when making purchase decisions. Uh, however, complaints that the adverts trivialised the impact of the pandemic on, so on society and were offensive were not in breach of the advertising code, the ASA said. Whilst we acknowledge that many viewers had found the tone of the ads distasteful we considered they were unlikely to be causing serious or widespread offence, it concluded. So uh, although the ASA did not publish its findings until Wednesday, Ryanair pulled the adverts uh, last week. On Wednesday, an airline spokesman said that the ASA ruling flies in the face of the UK's successful um, vaccine rollout. However, uh, even though this ruling is baseless, Ryanair will comply with the jab and go adverts will not run again. Now, actually, I mean, I've got a couple of points on this. I mean, one one thing that I would say, actually, in defence here, because I think they were talking about, was it summer? Um, and I think, to be fair, I mean, uh, Nev, I don't know how you feel about this, but I do feel like the vaccine rollout here in the UK is actually probably the best thing we've done since the Olympic Games. <laughs> Uh, that's a very reasonable point, actually. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know. I think that the thing you've got to remember is when you're doing adverts like this, um, there it's going to separate the population. You know, we've yeah. got to bear in mind we've got what is it, 111,000 people Absolutely. lost their lives um, yeah. uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic started here, and then there's a whole load of other people, perhaps like me and others that want to travel for yeah. business and leisure and all the rest of it and i think there's got to be some sensitivity there i think that um whether they should have pulled the advert or not I, i'm not really sure but mm. yeah it's it is a matter of opinion i think I mean, I mean, is, there's a small, there's a small part of me that's actually thinking that is it people being a little bit oversensitive here again? Because I mean, I'm just going to pop the advert up for those of you who are watching on the advert. I mean, surely, I, I, I mean, my gut reaction to look at that is I don't find it offensive particularly. So it's basically, I just describe it to you. It's got like a like a star in the top left hand corner that says "Jab and Go Book Summer Vaccines Are Coming 1999." I mean, yes, all right. Is it insensitive? Probably yes. Uh, I mean, for example, I mean, actually, on the subject of sensitivity, I was watching uh, the the news, which is always a fatal thing to do before uh, coming on air. Um, and it was, you know, they were sort of uh, bolstering the fact that, you know, in basically about a week, I think the death toll here in the UK has gone from over 1,200 down to like 600 or whatever. And I thought, yeah, but that's still 600. You know, they're, they're lampooning that as a huge success because obviously the, the death rate is falling. But I thought, yeah, but that's still 600 odd people a day 
who were passing away as a result of that of that Stephen H in the chat room said I complained too I thought flying with them would add two inches to my height and push my airline uh, forwards <laughs> again uh, they're an absolute disgrace I mean yes there there is that um, but uh, yeah so I, I, I don't know uh, insensitive yes probably um, I, mean, I must admit I looked at it and it did raise a smile and not for reasons of, of anything other than that. I mean, are, are we just being a... Is, is it because of the subject matter involved? Is that why we're being so sensitive about it? I think the thing to remember is that Ryanair does, does very well with slogans and marketing stuff like that, which under, under normal circumstances would probably be absolutely fine. But I think there's some, a lot of sensitivity here yeah. with regard to what's actually going on. And I, and I mm. think they probably just crossed the line of what is acceptable. Yeah. Steve, Steve and I were saying it's a business and they're just trying to drum up business. Uh, let them do it. I'm, I have to be honest. I kind of agree. I have to be honest. I kind of agree. Anyway, it's time to move on. Uh, yep. Nev, the next Soon. story is with you. I love it. It is story. indeed, and it's um, well, of course, it's a a BA story, isn't it? So, <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> What else would you expect? Um, the um, uh, this is the t- entitled British Wireways. <laughs> and uh, wow. it says abandoned BA training centre looks post-apocalyptic after being left to rot for years. The airline's crane bank hub, uh, which is just near Heathrow, was uh, the bustling heart of the aviation world for decades. But the vast site there, a few jet wings from the live runways, has been left to rot. Eerie snaps taken recently give a glimpse of another world with layers of moss and dust covering one-time critical training equipment. Flight simulators used by pilots to execute their professional teaching modules lie unused beneath layers of dirt and grime. Inside model plane interiors, rows of aircraft seats are caked in dust. Hangars, once a thriving community for thousands of airline staff, have been allowed to turn into in, uh, sorry have been allowed to turn derelict. Uh, an airline insider told The Sun it's a spooky scene inside the former BA training centre. It's a sad sight and unbelievable that Crane Bank was seemingly abandoned overnight. It's a real shame that the simulators and other equipment were not given away to charities or a museum. Uh, at Crane Bank, staff used to put, be put through their paces in case of in-flight emergencies. Uh, Real-life scenarios played out there, including cabin crew learning to use the escape slides. They also got the chance to enter a smoke chamber, experience a pilot incapacitation exercise, and practice getting people onto a lift draft if a plane lands on the sea. Uh, pilots and cabin crew were based at the hub east of uh, two main Heathrow runways, uh, which was understood to have issues with asbestos. A BA spokesman had confirmed that the facility had not been used for several years. I think we can confirm that. And uh, the airline now trained staff at its Global Learning Academy nearby. The startling snaps were taken as the dilapidated premises were sold to developers who will transform the site for industrial use. Um, I must say, when I saw this, uh, it was a bit shocking. Um, no, no, no two ways about it. Yeah, if you get a chance to watch the video, then obviously there is a full video on YouTube of this whole kind of walk round inside, which these guys have done. It's shocking that literally the amount of, uh, as I said, and people in the chat room obviously see, the equipment and paperwork and electrical items, bits and pieces of uh, you know aircraft and stuff, which are just 
Just there, just left. And you could have picked up a cheap throttle quadrant, surely. <laughs> I could have done. Yes, perhaps right. I need to okay. go here. I mean, I think I, th- I think we're missing the point here slightly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, like Stephen H is saying, it, it, it's like the Titanic. Uh, Ariel, who was in the chat room earlier, I mean, you know, there, there's lots of comments and stuff. Uh, about this uh, now ironically never i'm beginning to wonder like uh if you have links into the daily mail or wherever it is this story originally came from because uh now i seem to remember about a week ago something like that it wasn't that long ago no two weeks ago and you asked this very same story in our little group chat here and our producer john went and did some digging for you now i mean this is this is this is spooky as far as actually I'm it's very interesting because this story wasn't very well publicized at all no. about just over a week ago um but uh, yes now some journos have, have got their hands on it yeah. but it was actually uh, our producer john that uh, d- uh, dug up the uh, the info uh, himself so absolutely oh perhaps, perhaps it's john who's got links in, in with the there sun newspaper absolutely absolutely the it. sun newspaper there yeah, we are there's a totally. there's a absolutely <laughs> I won't, I won't say out loud what he just said in my ear. I can't. Uh, but oh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, I think we're sticking with you, Nev, aren't we, for the next story? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's on the airlinegeeks.com uh, website. And it says that on Monday, JetBlue Airways debuted its uh, reimagined uh, mint uh, business seats for uh, transatlantic and transcontinental flights. Designed in partnership with Acumen Design Associates, the mint suites will have a 24-seat configuration, focusing on privacy, comfort and enhanced customer experience. Passengers can enjoy the new premium suites beginning this summer on JetBlue's highly anticipated London routes and selected flights from New York to Los Angeles. Uh, the airline will offer a domestic configuration of the cabin with 16 seats. The enhanced mint suites featuring sliding doors, a tilting 7-inch Thales Avant screen, uh, wireless charging, a phone ledge for multitasking, conveniently located in-seat power and storage for bags, shoes and laptops. Furthermore, customers will enjoy a custom-designed seat cushion made by Tuft & Needle. Uh, the company also designed additional touches like a convertible blanket uh, with a foot pocket, a sleep kit with an eye mask and earplugs and a memory foam pillow. Uh, JetBlue is particularly excited about the new Mint because it is the first airline to fit the Thompson Aero Seating Vantage Solo seat on an aircraft. The herringbone configured seat was created for narrow-bodied jets and further customised for JetBlue. But that's not all. JetBlue's Mint Studio is a brand new concept that will offer the most amount of space in a premium cabin on any US airline. Uh, Each aircraft will be fitted with two studios uh, that are distinct from the suites, uh, located in the front row of Mint, each featuring a 22-inch Thales Avant screen, a second side table, the largest flatbed of any US airline and a guest seat to be used by another Mint passenger whilst in the cruise. Uh, The carrier has also uh, included unique residential textures and a custom for JetBlue touches throughout the cabin to make customers feel that they're at home in the sky. These include flannel-covered privacy dividers, concrete lampshades, wood grain table patterns and soft vegan leather-covered seats and headrests. Customers will also notice that the signature mint leaf on the suite door and custom mood lighting. JetBlue claims that the entire reimagined mint experience has been designed with the customer in mind, creating a comfortable premium product for a fraction of the price 
of competitors. Well, I think the timing of this is very interesting indeed. And uh, although I was complaining to Al uh, some weeks ago about would I want to be on a you know an A321 for the whole length of the um, North Atlantic, but actually I think that as I say, the timing of this is very interesting because just as aviation is will be starting to come back at some point during this year, they might just have ticked the right box at the right time. So it'll be interesting to see how popular... I mean, I, mean, I, don't, th- I, I don't think I'd be mind being on, on, on an aircraft that size, as you mentioned, Ned. If I've got all those bells and whistles, if you like, in front of me, that I mean, it looks absolutely beautiful, doesn't it? Uh, Stephen Ivey is saying it would help if they got slots uh, for the flight, of course, referring to... Um, they've, uh, it's, um, I think they, they were going for some at Gatwick as well. I seem to re- some slots at Gatwick and also Heathrow, as Stansted. They have received. Sorry, I'm just getting a message in my ear which I, 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 I misunderstood. They have received at uh, Stansted. Were you saying, John? Stansted and Gatwick they have received, but not at Heathrow. Not at Heathrow. Mm. Yeah, at the moment on their website they're only offering London Heathrow and Gatwick, but. Actually, Gatwick's the only one that's coming up with any flights. So. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. 14 at yeah. Gatwick, apparently, and 28 at yeah. Stansted uh, per week. That's quite a lot of slots, actually, isn't it? Is that, is that what, what, at Stansted, that would be, what, two a day, I guess, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, interesting stuff. It's, uh, I mean, uh, but I mean, that layout looks amazing, doesn't it? Does look nice. Does look nice. Yeah. Now, now Jet, forgive my naivety here. Jet 2, is it not? Um, Jet Blue. Uh, Jet Blue, sorry, not Jet Two, sorry. Jet Blue <laughs> is that not a low cost air carrier in the states? Jet Blue is, yeah, yeah. But right. I think they're um, they're they're branching into to coming over to uh, yeah. the US to here. So hopefully yeah. it'll be it'll mean that we can go to the US really cheap. Ma- Miles High is saying, is it a hotel or does it fly? I, I mean, hopefully it flies. <laughs> <That'd> be nice. <laughs> no surprise there. Well, I suppose we better move on. So the next story. Oh, sorry, Stephen H. Uh, says, Stephen H. Sounds completely menthol. Oh dear. I can't believe I was made to read that out. Moving on. Uh, anyway, the <laughs> uh, next story comes to us from uh, techradar.com. And uh, the world's smallest airport to be built for autonomous drones. But sadly, it won't fly you to Malaga. Airports have a reputation for being enormous labyrinth, uh, labyrinth nightmares, especially when you're uh, quintuple checking your gate for departure. Well, who the heck writ these show notes, John? Only to end up the same overpriced store time and again. However, a more experimental airport is now underway in Coventry here in the UK, of all places. Unfortunately, it won't be for humans. Instead, it's for drones. With support from manufacturer Hyundai, tech startup Urban Airport have been awarded a 1.2 million uh, or 1.64 million US dollars grant through the UK government and their future flight challenge program. The real objective of the world's smallest airport is to test how eVTOL or electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft like delivery drones and air taxis, can be integrated into a city's wider mobility infrastructure. The airport is getting ready to be operational by November 2021. Wow, that's this year. Uh, Sunil Bundio, Transport Innovations Manager for Coventry City Council, spoke on what airport uh, the airport hopes to achieve. He says, one of the reasons we are at the forefront of the Future Flight Challenge program project is because of our obligations to reduce congestion and emissions. 
uh, he said in a statement to Cities Today. He went on to explain that the project could test the effectiveness of drones being utilised in emergency services. He said that if there's an accident and someone needs emergency treatment and we've got a drone close by that can go and pick up a passenger and take them to hospital, it would be more efficient than having a great big helicopter where you'd have to close off the roads or close for traffic to make sure helicopters land safely. Should all go well, Urban Airport has plans to install over 200 more sites worldwide in response to growing calls to cut emissions and reduce traffic congestion. I couldn't think of anything worse than laying after being in an accident and then being picked up by a drone and kind of in a sling or something and carried across fields to the nearest hospital. But You'd want a minimum of a, an Augusta 109, wouldn't you? Yeah. I would, <laughs> yes. You that, know, that's a, see that's a big helicopter, there. right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, ra- I'd rather see Helimed appear <laughs> rather than a DJI Phantom. Yeah, the, the, Hel- the Helimed ones, are, aren't they little Eurocopters, if I recall mm, correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's correct, yeah. 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 That's an Airbus product as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. I'd, I'd rather see one of those, Matt, than, a, than you know, and the drone flying over and sort of slinging a, a cradle down for me to sit into. Really? Okay. I mean, I, I don't mind so much. Richard, I'm just saying that there is some stupid plans being uh, uh, punted to carve yet more out of the little uh, Class G airspace left in the UK to give a permanent allocations to the drones, which is... Have you still got yours, mm, Matt? I have, very much so, actually. Hmm. I've got my... My drones are... My drone is amazing. I, I've... Uh, uh, in fact, I, actually, ironically, because I'm a good boy, I've literally just renewed my licence for it. Get me! Yeah. So when the weather okay. gets better, Matt, yes. can you can you can you fly it from yours and just sort of sit out here outside the window here, so I can? Uh, no, I have to be wave. within. No, one of the rules is that I have to be oh, within okay. so many meters of it. Okay, but I could take it to your house and take photographs of your roof if you needed me to. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Look at Matt knowing his copters. Lane's very proud of me. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, who'd have thought that after? Six years, years. Yeah, six years of doing this this silly show. I finally learned so. I would love to go on a uh, chopper ride with Matt. Well, I, 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 I get your coat, Lane. You've pulled. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And on that bombshell, yeah, okay. Matt. Oh, all right. Next okay. story. Before Honestly, anything, before any take... fights, before any fights break out. Fight, excuse me, I'm bonding with the listeners. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's it's uh, uh, next story is uh, a Ryanair story. Two Ryanair stories. Cool. Oh. Honestly, I was too busy concentrating on doing the editing last night, clearly. Anyway, uh, right, uh, so this, uh, the headline is Man Arrested After Headbutting Cabin Crew in Drunken Rampage on Ryanair Flight. Oh, I'm surprised it's Ryanair. I thought it was going to be Jet 2, if I'm honest. But anyway, an intoxicated man was arrested after becoming abusive towards staff on a Ryanair flight from Tenerife to Manchester. Um Neither of those two locations surprised me, if I'm honest. Uh, D- Daniel Henry, Henry, sorry, 24, was found to have drunk three quarters of a bottle of vodka by the time he was arrested. Prosecutors told Manchester Magistrates Court that on January the 29th of this year, Henry was kicking off one hour into the Ryanair flight from Tenerife South. Uh, small point of order, weren't we in lockdown on January the 29th? So how was this a business trip? But anyway, after... Uh, 
after refusing, uh, I'm being told off in my ears, apparently he was living in Tenerife anyway. After refusing to wear a face mask, Hendry told staff to uh, politely go away. Uh, and uh, I'm going to punch you, going to smash your head in the Manchester Evening News report. A lovely gentleman. He just sounds delightful, doesn't he? I want to go out on a night out with him, show him what it's really like to be mean to people. Uh, the court heard how Hendrick... You can tell I've had wine, can't you? I'm getting all... Uh, <laughs> the court heard how Hendry then headbutted a member of staff before stroking a staff member. Uh, I think they mean striking a staff member. Uh, uh, stroking a staff member's arm and trying to hug them. Hmm. Wow, okay. The captain report uh, resorted to calling various air traffic controllers to try and divert the flight, but was unable to do so because uh, airports had been closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the court heard he made the decision to accelerate the aircraft, arriving 25 minutes ahead of schedule. Upon wow. landing, Hendry, of no fixed abode, was arrested, subsequently causing damage uh, to poli- a police van by banging his head against the door and windows. Uh, Pleading guilty to entering an aircraft when drunk, criminal damage and assault, Hendry will next appear before uh, Minesell Street Crown Court for sentencing next month. The Crown said that not only did he put himself at risk, but he also put the plane full of people at risk as well, mitigating his defence, the solicitor said. Unfortunately, he was arrested uh, and he fully accepts the prosecution case and doesn't seek to undermine what has been said. He falls on his sword and is deeply remorseful. Unfortunately, he has little memory of what took place on that plane. Henry was due to appear in court uh, through custody, but due to the fact that he had travelled from abroad, he was taken back to the police station where he appeared over a video link, presumably because obviously he's having to self-isolate for 10 days, having just arrived. I mean... Nev... You never see this on BA, do you? We don't have any stories we have from BA that have got this issue. Uh, not that many, because there's not much flying going on, but even under normal <laughs> circumstances. Uh, no, we, we, we don't tend to uh, deal with, with that kind of thing uh, on the world's favourite airline, no. Right, OK. Uh, Stephen Ivey is saying that he took a jab at the crew. Sounds like he took the ad far too seriously. Good point. <laughs> Harping back to our earlier story. Thanks for that, Stephen. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, wow, OK. Oh, I love our chat room. It's great. They're a lot funnier than you and I. <laughs> Nev says speak for yourself. Uh, right, <laughs> OK. Yeah, not really much more we can say on that, really, is there? Let's be honest. Um, people need to behave themselves. I mean, you know, we, we sort of... Uh, and some of this is Ryanair's fault, isn't it, in the fact that, you know, there was a time when flying was very much considered... You know, Nev... I'm sure remembers fondly a time when flying was very much a privilege. Um. <laughs> oh, yes. And I would put on my, my bow tie oh, quite. and my Absolutely. waistcoat. <laughs> Indeed. As I considered whether to have caviar yes. or steak. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Deciding which smoking jacket to pack. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that when you sat in your, your economy seat that, that was the same size as a now business class seat, Nev? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, mm, back yeah. in the day, yes. Ariel says, now that's a jab and go to jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> indeed. Well, there we are, moving on, we're being told. Uh, OK. Um, Nev, uh, Nev, you've got the next one, and we're going over to Dublin. We are, and it's on the newstalk.com website. 
Uh, it says that the number of people flying through Dublin Airport barely changed the week after fines for non-essential travel abroad were introduced. New stats provided to News Talk Show. The fines were introduced following public anger over reports of people going on holidays. Fines were initially set at €100, Euro, although this was increased to €500 Euro from Monday the 25th of Jan. Uh, travel editor Ewan Corrie uh, says this shows most people currently flying are likely doing so for essential reasons and public outrage over holidaymakers is likely misdirected. Dublin Airport has said that there were an average of 4,064 passengers a day in the week to Sunday, January the 24th. The following week, after fines for non-essential travel abroad was introduced, there were 3,996, almost the same amount. So roughly 2,000 passengers inbound and 2,000 outbound. Travel during both weeks was down by 94% compared to normal traffic levels and 280 fines for non-essential travel abroad were issued over four days between last Thursday and Sunday. Mr Corey says this breaks down as 70 per day out of roughly 2,000 outbound passengers per day, showing the overwhelming majority of people are following the rules. He said 2,000 inbound and outbound is pretty much uh, subsistence level uh, for necessary transport for essential travel to keep the economy going. It shows that the level of outrage about holiday flights is probably misdirected. Uh, the government are following the sense of outrage that people are travelling out of the country when people cannot travel beyond their five-kilometre radius. That is uh, to be seen to be something to be doing something. I'm not sure that the problem warranted that level of reaction in the first place. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly said that the government will introduce new laws to stop people travelling abroad on holiday if fines are found to be ineffective. Well, just um, sort of some third um, hand information really that I've picked up this week, not necessarily at the airport but certainly around Dublin uh, the Guard are very very keen on making sure that people aren't travelling unnecessarily and certainly two or three work colleagues of mine uh, got stopped a couple of times a day actually uh, by them to just ask them very politely where they were going and, and was their journey uh, absolutely necessary. So that, uh, that M50 which is the uh, uh, orbital motorway that goes around Dublin, there, there were uh, doing a lot of spot checks there to make sure that people weren't uh, out and about. I've not seen much of that in the UK, I've got to say, uh, but it's good that uh, we're seeing that in Dublin. So it's quite interesting that um, the impression given here was that the people were going on holiday, but actually I think there's people going to and from the UK, for example, for medical reasons, you know, nurses and doctors going to and from uh, the UK and also back to Ireland as well, I would have thought. So I, th I don't think there's anything... Too much to worry about here. Um, to, uh, no, I agree. And actually, on, even on. here in the UK, um, I went for a uh, uh, a walk with uh, my friend last night um, just because he needed to, to, to chat. I won't go into details, obviously. Um, and because of the weather was horrendous, we were both sat there wearing gloves and a mask in a bus stop uh chatting briefly and we actually had a police car pull over and ask us what we were doing and all that kind of thing even here in the uk so um i mean in lots of ways actually i'm quite pleased that these things are being taken sort of seriously i mean maybe it's too little too late i don't know but um yeah it's, it's a shame uh, isn't it haven't, haven't the police got enough to do you know agreed. in normal yep. circumstances without having to do all this just to you know uh, 
I mean, you've, you've seen some of the, you know, parties and stuff that they've had to shut down and all yeah. the rest of it. So Absolutely. I know. So the sooner... I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you know, they're out there doing, doing the stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Uh, I'm up next, apparently. And uh, this is uh, American Airlines launches airplane wine club is i can't think of any reason why this was given to me seeing as that i've worked for a wine company for a month just putting that out there anyway uh of all things we miss about travel the act of flying might be low on the list uh, but there's one element of air travel that you probably haven't been able to get during the pandemic one which you might well somebody might be missing airplane wine that high on your list of priorities nev Certainly. <laughs> uh, what about you? I mean, Carlos, you're you're drinking the um, uh, the the Speedbird 100 on a regular basis, so I guess you're not yes. missing it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I do like that. I I do love the wine as well, though. You know, right. I'm, I'm like you, Matt. I do like a nice red. Oh, a red wine. Okay, they see I'm more of a white fan. Anyway, the story continues. Uh, but no matter, American Airlines has come to the rescue and announced the launch of its first ever at-home wine club which they're rather disappointingly not calling America Air, American Air Wines. I'm trying to work out whether this was an attempt at humour by our producer. Anyway, uh, the newly launched... Uh, oh, apparently, no, it was in the... defending. He's defending himself. Apparently, it was in the... Anyway, it was in the story. Uh, the newly launched flagship seller's wine experience, produced in partnership with uh, Vines Wines, allows those who are nostalgic... To f- the choice of warm Cabernet uh, to select from a curated assortment of ultra-premium wines uh, from around the world, picked by an unnamed master uh, sommelier. Uh, sommelier sorry. Uh, so anyone uh, lucky enough to have travelled in America's first-class cabin and bo- uh, bo- been bored enough to look closely at the label of airplane wine might already be familiar with some of the bottles on offer through this flagship uh, scheme. Most of these bottles are pulled from the offerings the airline usually pours in its upper classes. Uh, the new at-home experience includes a flexible monthly subscription, three bottles of wine for $99, as well as a build-your-own case option, both of which claim to offer high-quality wine. So the current uh, selections include uh, an NV uh, Moutard Champagne, uh, France uh, Grand Curve Brut, um, which is uh, that sounds quite nice actually. It's a sort of like uh, not quite not quite champagne, but anyway, uh, a uh, 2019 uh, Pornamu Marlborough New Zealand special selection Sauvignon Blanc, and an Oregon 2015 Rose Rock uh, Enola Amity Hills uh, Druhin Pinot Noir. I quite like the sound of the Pinot Noir, I have to be honest. Uh, there are mileage benefits too, as customers earn two AA or two A advantage mileage points for every dollar purchased points, that is. These days uh, can be used on a whole lot more than air travel. As others have pointed out, the move is likely less about uh, sating the unquenchable thirst of the basic homebound traveller, the hashtag basic homebound traveller, and more about offloading unsold wine from the company sellers that are currently bursting, not to mention making a dent in the airline's $3.2 billion of lost revenue during the third quarter of 2020. 
there we go lots of interesting comments in the chat room which i'm sure will be appearing uh, on screen very shortly uh, laura davis says they should call it the engine wine club i quite like that that's a very clever quite a clever idea isn't it carlos you're you're busy snacking what are you enjoying no 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 <laughs> I, 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 i've just been brought a, a a slight snack in into the uh, oh right home oh, studio dear. here so thanks uh, lane is a little bit horrified by the fact that it's three bottles for 99 dollars. i get several cases of two buck shuck for that i mean okay there is oh, that hello alfie uh yes <laughs> quite indeed uh, busy old evening in the studio here laura she's also saying that i guess there is uh space wine now i think some has either just come back from the iss or is about to be returned for research of course yeah, just to make sure that it does uh, All this talk you know, of wine, spoil. I'm going to have some wine later. I should, okay, very good. Yes, mm. as I say, I'm, I'm, uh, you'll, you'll all be very proud of me. I've nearly consumed an entire bottle here in the studio. This is most, most unlike me. I'm feeling quite lightheaded. Anything... Stay tuned for the end of the show, guys. I know, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, after show, it's just as well somebody Matt else is drunk. <laughs> it's just as well somebody else is in charge of the studio. I can't even choose the right screen now. Look, I'm going... <laughs> Anyway, somebody move on. Dig us out of this comedy cul-de-sac quick. So the <laughs> next story, this is the last story in the commercial news segment this week. And uh, I think we could all say that we, we would love to win something aviation related in a competition. But how about if you won an actual aircraft? Wow. So uh, this one comes to us from the AOPA or AOPA.org slash news uh, website the uh, headline 787 captain wins an rv10 airplane in the aopa sweeps uh, sweepstakes so the aircraft owners and pilots association on january the 24th surprised pilot aaron benedetti as the winner of its sweepstakes bands aircraft rv10 aircraft um Benedetti is a 10-year-old AOPA member from Livermore, California. The 57-year-old is a Boeing 787 Dreamliner captain for United, primarily, flying long-haul routes between San Francisco International Airport and destinations in Europe, Asia, and Australia. So AOPA's explained its team surprised Benedetti in the afternoon as he was uh, at a meeting with a friend in California's Livermore Municipal Airport. Uh, Benedetti was led out to the ramp where he was eventually presented with the keys to the sweepstakes aeroplane by AOPA President Mark Baker. AOPA oversaw restoration of the van, uh, van's aircraft, RB10 sweepstakes aircraft, leveraging a range of master craftsmen over 18 months, including the following. So it had advanced flight systems designed and installed, uh, a three-screen Avidyne IFD 550 digital IFR instrument panel. Uh, Aerosport products in, uh, provided a carbon fiber panel and center console. Uh, South Florida Sport Aviation installed a leather interior, mm, very nice, and overhead ventilation system. And the team at Lancaster Aero applied its paint. Champion Aerospace provided the magnetos for the 260 horsepower engine and Whelan installed exterior LEDs. Uh, Aerox gave the winner a portable oxygen system. Uh, Slide Down provided a new set of tie downs and Bruce's custom covers provided a durable fuselage cover to protect the aeroplane from the elements. Vans Aircraft provided RV-10 transition flight training for the winner as well, which is obviously a good idea. Uh, and Benedetti was quick to call his wife with the news. He said that, uh, Karen, you know all those flying magazines I get, I hope a pilot. 
The whole thing with Darren was a total ruse. He said, I'm sitting in this aeroplane and they're telling me it's mine, he said. It's remarkable. The Opus sweepstakes takes place annually and eligible members are automatically entered besides the aircraft um, prizes for the next sweepstake uh, that include uh, Bose A20 headsets, very nice indeed, uh, handheld radios, chronograph watches and $5,000 worth of fuel. Um, supplies as well and maintenance are much more with IOPA's FlyAnywhere FBO card. In May 2022, a randomly selected pilot will win the grand prize of a speedy Grumman Tiger AA-5B. So if you are a member of IOPA and uh, you need to uh, obviously make sure that you are in place for this grand prize, which is in May next year. I have to say I'm loving the cockpit. Mm. absolutely loving the cockpit it's it's i don't know I, I must admit although nowadays with the way the things are moving on i'd be sitting there sort of thinking am i actually using your simulator that you've got at home carlos because i mean it's just <laughs> like it, it doesn't look entirely dissimilar to to what you've now built in your in your office there yeah three <laughs> screens the lcd screens are unbelievable aren't they? i know absolutely oh, it's, a, it's uh impressive yeah. stuff uh it's the same, uh, basically, as being told in our ear that uh, essentially it's not that f- dissimilar to what you see in the seven eight seven now, apparently. Uh, and that's a quote from Benedetti. So, I mean, we'd, we all we'd all love to win. We all love to win something, you know. We, I mean, how many people win have won something in a raffle at a, a fair? Or not that we get to go to fairs these days, but I always find it's a struggle to win anything with raffle tickets. I've, I've only ever won a tumbola once, and I won a tin of mixed fruit. Imagine your tin of mixed fruit or an aircraft. Hmm. I, I know mean, where I'd rather I be. Mean, I mean, if you gave me a ton of mixed fruit, I'd take it over the aircraft. <laughs> uh, but, but that's what, just... what, would you, what would you like to win in a, in a prize draw, Nev? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, probably a, a nice... A new Focus ST. <laughs> a nice car, yeah. Aston Martin, mm. Mustang, something you know, something entirely Ooh. inappropriate. Oh, a DB7 for me. A DB7, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as a weekend car. Right. Nice. Okay. I mean, I mean, if people are giving them away, I mean, I'll take a Bugatti Veyron if anybody's mm. interested. But uh, no. Okay. Just me again. So Fair absolutely enough. nothing <laughs> aviation related. Then how oh, well? What for me? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, um, Laura... Davies, what would you have, uh, Carlos? Davies. Carlos, what would you have? I'd have one of the tri-stars that's sitting at Brunton Thorpe Airfield at the moment. <clears throat> but it doesn't fly. I know. They'd have to ship it here for me. Yeah, but it doesn't fly, Carlos. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, what I would love, and this yeah. would really, really... Uh, Armando me. is unimpressed with us, by the way. I, I would... Um, if, someone, if, if, if the prize was a full-motion simulator Ooh. for say i don't know triple seven or a dreamliner Ooh. you know i'd gladly give up uh, most of my house uh, laura's saying that there's apparently there's a raffle for the spacex flight seats now how cool would that be to go into space that would you fancy nice. going into space nev would, the, would that tickle your fancy a little no, flight into it, space it doesn't really do it for me actually does that, it not it just i I, I try and avoid danger wherever possible, right. and okay. I just think the amount of G being pulled and the amount of uh, rocket fuel being burnt, and you know, it just. I, I, now you see, I have to confess, this is one of the few things that would excite me—the the SpaceX thing. In fact, actually, yeah. uh, myself and and uh, 
and my best friend Owen, we were actually watching the launch of the um, uh, SpaceX thing, that which was so cool. I mean, it was one of the most, you know, it was one of those rare moments where you're sitting there watching it and you think, I'm watching history right here. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those real moments where you think, I'm watching history in the making here. And, I, you know, and for some reason that, that really got me quite excited. But I, I could fancy a little trip to space. You've you got to go sometime, you know, might as well be, you know, well doing fun. Uh, never only go to space if you get seat 1A. Uh, is, is that fair? Uh, reasonable, yeah. Uh, reasonable, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Right, so we are going to go on to the next part of the show, which is a part of the show I know many people across the globe look forward By to. By many people, you mean your dad. And my dad, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move on to uh, this latest instalment from The Plain Truths with Matt and Captain Al. And this week, it is a very interesting subject indeed, especially with the weather conditions around the globe at the moment. And this week, Matt and Al are talking all about breaking and contaminated runways. Hello and welcome to another Plain Truce, and this week we're going to be talking about breaking and contaminated runways. Joining me, as always, is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Hello there, how are we? Yes, very good, thank you, very good. Uh, listen, this could be the shortest plain truth yet, as I ask the question essentially. Does, a, does an aeroplane basically have uh, ABS, is what I'm asking? <laughs> uh, anti-lock brakes? Yes, they right. do. Okay, all right. Uh, because in exactly the same way as in your car or in your bus, if the wheels are skidding, then they are not braking. You are effectively just a set of ice skates, if you like, just <laughs> skidding along the surface. So a skidding wheel will not slow the aeroplane, the car or the bus down. No, no, indeed. Now, and, now obviously, I, I said in the title there about contaminated runways. And what, what I mean by that is obviously what sort of a pe- impact does that have with uh, wet runways, for example? Uh, I mean, I know they, in, certainly in the larger airports, they do their best to de-ice runways, but obviously you can only be so so effective, I guess, at, at making sure that the, the runway isn't uh, iced up, for example, especially in some of the more uh, colder countries. Um, so, I mean, what, what procedures? are in place to sort of help you in those sort of incidents okay well if we think about an aeroplane when it's on the ground it's no different to any other motor vehicle if you like so when the road or the runway is wet the braking capability is reduced it's exactly the same in our car we know that our stopping distance in a car is significantly greater when it's wet than when it's dry uh you being a professional motorist will be able to quote chapter and verse on how many percentage at uh, 30 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, et cetera, et cetera. Um, don't bother. We don't need to. It's oh, just a simple right. fact that, <laughs> that we know from, you know, experience. And if you're driving on snow or ice, we know that it's going to take a lot longer to stop. It's exactly the same on the aeroplane. Cause at the end of the day, it's just wheels going round and around with brakes. We do use the reverse thrust on the aeroplane yeah, to I was, I was help going to ask stopping. That actually, yeah. um, reverse thrust is only really effective uh, above sort of 70 knots, 100 miles an hour. So the first part of the slowdown phase, reverse thrust is very effective. As we slow down, it becomes less and less effective. And that's where we tend to use the brakes more right. and more. Um, so 
Yes, we have anti-lock brakes for exactly the same reason you, you would want to have them on your car. So if we can stop the wheel skidding, even though we have to release the brake pressure to do that, so as, we, as we've seen skid marks on, on roads where ABS has kicked in, <laughs> you've got a little bit of a skid, the brakes are released, the wheel spins up again, and then the brakes are put on. And the scientists have worked out that if we release the brake pressure and, uh, and then put it back on, the overall stopping distance is less. And we, we appreciate that. And that's exactly the same way as it works on an aircraft. So when we have uh, wet runways, uh, we need a greater distance to stop than we would do on a dry runway. So we can't say to the airport, okay, well, it's raining. So can you go and build me an extra 100 meters <laughs> of runway, please? We have to look at it the other way and say, okay, what is the maximum amount of weight that we can have on the aeroplane when the conditions are dry, wet, etc.? So that's how we look at it. We look at our landing weight. So that can be a, a, a built up over, what well, is built up over a number of factors, the actual empty weight of the aeroplane, how much fuel we've got on board, passenger weight, cargo, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that we can control. So when we look to do the calculations, we're working out what the maximum landing weight is for the given environmental conditions, the temperature, the wind, the runway surface, et cetera, et cetera, how high the airport is. So as the condition of the runway deteriorates, function of what level of contamination is contained with on, on the runway, so our landing distance increases, so therefore our weight has to decrease because we can't build or extend the runway. So this gets quite complicated where we start to have to look at things like how much uh, contaminant there is on the runway so is there more than three millimeters of contaminant if it is then if it's over a reasonable amount of the runway so 25 percent of the runway um, then we have to look at contaminated runway figures and then we look to see whether it's water slush snow wet snow dry snow um, uh, or is it just ice so the runway is then broken down into various categories and, and these have recently been standardized across the world so we're now starting to use the same song sheet around the world because previously different countries had their own way of measuring this um, and therefore we apply an appropriate strategy now you would say, okay, right, well, it's snowed, let's clear the snow off the runway. Brilliant, fantastic. And that's what happens in most places. In the UK, if it snows, we have snow plows out, snow blowers, off we go, you know, close the airport, clear the snow, reopen the airport, aircraft carries on. One of the problems that we have in the UK, because we quite often have utter chaos and carnage when it snows, <laughs> yes. is that our snow tends to be quite slushy. And slush really, really isn't great. Uh, as we know from our car, if we're just driving on fresh powdery snow, it goes nicely crunch underneath us, and it's actually not too bad to drive on. But slush is just awful because you've got a combination of water, ice, and snow, and you just don't know what you've got. And that's what we tend to have. In countries like Finland, for example, where it's just very, very cold all the year round and it snows a bit. There is no point in trying to get rid of the snow 
because it's just a daily feature of life. So what they tend to do is they tend to have snow-covered runways. They don't try to clear it, but what they do is they will cover the compacted layer of that snow with grit, and grit is brilliant for braking on. So perversely, you could have a flight where you've got just, you know, an average dumping of UK snow and it's all slushy and really not very nice and then go to Finland where you're knee deep in snow but it's all nicely compacted, they've covered the runway with grit and it's lovely, it's just like landing on sandpaper. (laughs) Wow, so I mean I've heard the, I mean I know they do it like, okay slightly off topic but sort of like football pitches and things like that where it's like the under, you know the underneath is heated, I mean is that something where they do like heated runways or would that just be a a, a a ridiculous question? (laughs) It's a really good question actually Um, and I vaguely remember that someone did experiment with this but one of the problems with tarmac is that Uh, if you heat it up it it tends to melt (laughs) yes yes good point yes good point well Um, made (laughs) but what they do do is uh they will anti-ice a runway so in the same way as you might sort of like put a ice preventative treatment on your car in the evening to stop ice forming on it overnight they can do that to runway. So they kind of pre-treat it with a liquid uh, that basically stops ice forming on the runway because in exactly the same way as anything else, you can get a frosty covering of a runway. That can be a bit messy. Um, And obviously what you don't want is you don't want ice because... Ice is really slippy, funnily enough. Yes, by by sheer definition. Well, as always, Al, a very complicated subject, simplified to perfection. Thank you, as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Absolutely awesome work as always, Matt. And uh, oh, I'd love to be able to take credit for it, but I really can't. I basically just sit there and answer the question in this case that somebody sent in for us, and then I, I, I watch Al do his his magic. That that's that's all there is to it. But they're a lot of fun to record. It has to be said. There's a lot of stuff that I cannot play out that happens afterwards and before. Can I ask, uh, a, ask a cheeky question? How many uh, how many more have we got to look forward to? Is there some uh, Sneak uh, peeks into what we've got uh, coming up. As uh, if my memory serves correctly, there's about 35 that are yet to be recorded. I think mm. we've we've got another four that I think are in the can, ready to go, which is quite yeah. exciting. Um, yeah, so there's 31 recordings still left to go. So uh, awesome. we've got plenty of subjects. But do please keep coming. I mean, because if we get a good one sent in in advance, then then it'll jump the queue. Ooh. So uh, do get in touch. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Or you can ping it straight to us via our WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven. 
224966. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to get in touch with the show, and the messages come straight through to me here in the studio, and one day I'll be able to get the, the messages to everyone so that they can all see them. But uh, yeah, I'm still working on that. Anyway. <laughs> so before we move on, uh, Lane says in the chat room, Al outtakes would be epic. I know, but but we'd also be in court very fast uh, with yes. most of the, uh, you know, anybody who's had the pleasure of meeting him on a, on a, a, a meetup will will know how risky any outtakes that we have of Captain Al may actually be. Uh, it's uh, we've got a comment from uh, Richard Adams. I think I don't know if that's yeah. There we go. Yeah, Richard more Adams says more. Yeah, more ah. great nuggets. Right, uh, I see. What, I see. I see what he did there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We, yeah, but we need Steph to be able to come over here to we do, do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, all part of the fun. So, as you all know, we haven't got uh, Armando with us this Boo. week to join us for the military segment. But good news, everyone, because uh, we are now going to do our military segment. And uh, so, if everyone's ready, indeed, uh, let's go. <laughs> And coming up from Armando, as I say, the first story we're talking about is Contract Red Air. Canadian headquartered contract air service provider Top Aces took delivery of the first of its long-planned fleet of F-16 Fighting Falcons this week. Four former Israeli Air Force F-16ABs known as Nets, or Hawk, were loaded onto a, a giant Antonov An-124 aircraft at Ben Gurion Airport on January 27th. Bound for the top ace's new F-16 Center of Excellence at Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport in Arizona, where they arrived the following day. The three stripped-down F-16As and one F-16B uh, in the first shipment to top aces were among the first examples delivered to Israel under the Peace Marble One defense deal in 1980. Two of these actual jets are MiG killers from campaigns against Syria. Having attached its last examples of nets to the uh, aggressor duties in their Later years of service, Israel retired these early F-16s from 2014 and put them up for sale in late 2016. Israel retains its newer and more advanced F-16Cs and Ds and F-16Is. Top Aces has openly advertised long-held plans to upgrade its existing fleet of contract air support aircraft with second-hand F-16s since 2014. In December 2019, the company announced that Russ Quinn had been appointed as president of the Top Aces Corporation, which is based in Mesa and is a subsidiary of Top Aces, Inc. in Canada. A news release uh, from Top Aces said that Quinn has been instrumental in overseeing domestic and international growth while simultaneously leading the stand-up of the U.S. F-16 Center of Excellence, specifically designed to serve U.S. Department of Defense adversary air needs. Quinn flew F-16s with the U.S. Air Force, and Top Aces CEO Paul Bouchard said... With his unique background in F-16 tactical aviation, executive leadership, and business development, Russ is the perfect candidate to lead our expanding U.S. operations. We are extremely well positioned for growth in the United States with our unique fourth-generation open system architecture offering. Now, contract air support is not a new concept in the U.S. 
the Airborne Tactical Advantage Company, or ATAC, secured a U.S. Navy contract for adversary support from 1994 amid a lack of uh, in-house adversary units. It has supported training squadrons and fleet readiness exercises by offering uh, cost-effective red air, or adversary air, while also attacking, uh, flying attack profiles against surface vessels to train operators in self-defense. ATAC primarily utilized a fleet of aging Israeli F-21s and uh, Hawker Hunters to maintain a low cost base while employing experienced aviators who would offer insight to, and expertise uh, to maximize the value of their company's offering. I mean, again, like... <sighs> That backdrop, seriously, Armando, <laughs> are you absolutely... Oh, based on how cold it was, definitely not a green screen, Tony. Yes, that was definitely not a green screen, I can tell you that, no. for no shakes. I mean, honestly, oh, it's just... Like, don't you just hate it when people... You know, he doesn't even... He, he, You know, he reckons he's not cool, and by definition, that makes him cool, honestly. He has a cool job, doesn't he? So honestly, some of the pictures that we've had from him this week, from what he's been up to, oh, which unfortunately we can't share with you, but um, oh man, he has an awful job. No, nobody feels sorry for him ever. <laughs> and and, to, and we're all jealous of him because he's getting actual snow. Yeah, mind you, genuinely, I think we have actual snow on its way. No, no we'll we do. get three flakes. No, we, no, no, no. Excuse me, my. My, my, I could say my, my, um, my, my friend Dan, who is a proper meteorologist, reckons that we're going to have potential beast from the east type stuff this week. All right, ten flakes. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to the so, next story. So you, you're aware I can take us off air, right? And uh, this uh, this one is uh, especially for uh, our listener Jenny in Rome, actually, because we're moving over to Italy for this one. Are we? Uh, comes to uh, comes to us from sldinfo.com and uh, the Italian aircraft carrier Cavour in route to the United States adding F-35 capabilities to the fleet. So reporting by the Italian Defence Journal, RID, additional details published by the Naval News, the aircraft carrier Cavour has left for the United States where it will embark on the F-35B of the Navy Station Beaufort and will acquire the certification to operate the aircraft. The unit with its crew and commander were greeted by the Minister of Defence accompanied by the Chief of Defence Staff, um, by the Chief of Staff of the Navy and by the Commander-in-Chief of the Naval Squad. The Minister said uh, Italy will become one of the few countries in the world uh, together with the United States, Great Britain and Japan, to be able to uh, operate the aircraft carrier capability with the fifth generation combat aircraft. Uh, this mission will allow f to further increase also from a joint perspective the capabilities that the Defence and the Navy in particular are uh, available to Italy. Technical interventions carried out on board the aircraft carrier include the overhaul of the flight deck with uh, a new deck coating, all, all very good, important. Uh, this was necessary to limit the thermodynamic impacts when the F-35B Stovall or short takeoff and vertical landing variant will take off and land. In addition to the structures, equipment and flight systems of the flight deck, the ship's island compartments and hangar equipment store Aviation fuel storage as well and data distribution network sensors and electronics were also modified and upgraded. This was required for the integration and flight operation of the F-35B from its Cavour. 
the Caval upgrade. Uh, the phase started shortly after the second Italian Navy's F-35B took off from the Camiri, or final assembly and checkout plant, ACO, to make its flight to the United States. The aircraft's final destination was uh, MCAS Beaufort in South Carolina, where the aircraft joined the Italian Navy's first F-35B, supporting the training of the Italian pilots and technicians. The Italian Navy ordered a total of 15 F-35B fighter jets, and the Italian Air Force has the same amount on order, in addition to about 60 F-35A models. So it's safe to say the Italian uh, Navy and the Italian Air Force have obviously um, come into a few quid and uh, joining the the F-35B bandwagon along with uh, all of us here in the UK and the US. So, um, yeah, it'd be good to see these uh, flying over a bit more because they've been a bit sparse lately. We've had plenty of um, larger stuff flying over here, but we haven't had an F-35B come over here for quite some time. That's because... Nobody's doing anything at the moment, are they? Are we? No, no. <laughs> actually, we haven't had the V-22s come over for a, for a while either, actually. It's What's that? That's the, the only, Osprey, isn't it? The Osprey. The only thing that we get flying over here every day is those Apaches, the gunships. Oh, really? Uh, I haven't heard yeah. them for a little while. Uh, over here. Well, they were over here yesterday again as well. Oh, were they? Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm here all the time. Oh, trust me. They are literally out towards, I'll say it, but that'll be over many people's heads but Halesworth way they're actually over because there's one over near Beckles base somewhere isn't there yeah there is yeah Yeah. but there's they they do do a lot of their um low-level training over uh Beckles heliport actually or the airfield yeah I know as I I think I've told the story before where I was busy doing a school run and I was heading out past the Beckles air airfield and this Apache just appeared above a hedge and made all the children on the bus scream they're not not the stealthiest (laughs) of helicopters no they're not especially when it appears above a hedge So, Nev, you've got the next story, and, um, well, this is all about the CB-22. It is, and it's on flyingmag.com, and it says, uh, the the headline says, Tower controller credited with save of CB-22 at Kirkland Air Force Base. The media team at the Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, first reported the story of how a civilian air traffic controller, Wendy Smith, working in Kirtland Tower, saved the six-person flight crew of an Air Force CV-22 and avoided a $90 million accident. Cassidy is a 12-year veteran controller at the airfield. Uh, They were taking off on a night tactical sortie, the news release said. On climb out, the air traffic controller called the aircraft commander on the radio and said, Hey, Dusty73, your right prop rotor looks weird, she said. The crew looked out of the window and usually the three prop rotor tip lights are in perfect line, showing that everything is in sync. But they could see that one of the blades wasn't. That was enough. They came back in, landed, got a new aircraft and went back out again. The maintenance team downloaded the information and one blade was vibrating at three times its limit. Some inspections found a pitch link bearing that controls the blade pitch was falling apart. It probably had got about another 45 minutes to an hour left of life at the rate that it was breaking down. If the aircraft had continued and the aircraft uh, and the aircrew hadn't noticed the vibrations, it would have been a catastrophic failure. That would have been a loss of the aircraft and crew. The 71st Special Operations Squadron Commander 
Lieutenant Colonel Brett Casty said on that flight the CV-22 students were in the end phases of their training with a focus on operating under low light conditions, using night vision gear and doing full brownout landings where they have no visibility of the landing zone. It's a pretty complex mission set so uh, most folks aren't really thinking about issues on departure out of here. On January the 8th of this year, Cassidy presented Wendy Smith with a special coin to commemorate the save. That's a nice bit of um, observation, isn't it? I mean, genuinely, I mean, do, do we think she was very familiar with the aircraft then? Because I'm just trying to think. I mean, I don't I mean, well, it just goes to show how amazing air traffic controllers really are, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, mm. In this scenario, to have noticed that the lights weren't quite right. I guess, I suppose, if they're used to saying, seeing off sprays all the time, uh, they might actually, uh, you know, it doesn't, the lighting doesn't look right. And it's, we're always told, aren't we, one of the things you should do is always report any anomalies like that. And as you say, a massive save. I think it must, it's obviously the familiarity of it as well. And uh, as Armando says in the chat room, uh, the controls see, see them there every night. So they know what what is a, a good look and what right. is not a good look. I, I would Indeed. Imagine. Well, so, and kudos for reporting it. I mean, it's just, mm. as you say, I mean, you know, aircraft and crew lives, you know, lives literally saved uh, by, by spotting this anomaly and reporting it. Um, but, uh, but he's also saying, but yes, Matt, very good of her to speak up, which is... Uh, which is uh, very awesome, isn't it? Okay, we'll move on to the next story then. And Love this story. Uh, uh, rare V-Bomber cockpits collection is up for auction. So a pretty unique collection of restored cockpits belonging to some legendary V-Bomber aircraft is up for grabs. Due to be sold on the 9th of March 2021 in Hanson's Auctioneer's iconic 20th century auction are the cockpit sections of the Avril, oh, the Avro Vulcan B2 um, K2 XH560, uh, the Vickers Valiant B1, the XD, uh, so it's X-ray Delta 826, uh, the Handley Page Victor K2, that's the Echo Hotel 669, and the Handley um, Page Victor, and that is the X-ray Hotel 670, which is uh, the last surviving example of the Victor B2. So Nigel Towler, 65, a retired businessman from London, has decided to sell his collection after dedicating about 40 years of his life to searching, uh, salvaging and restoring the largest array of V-bomber cockpits in one private collection. Towler's colossal collection uh, includes some extremely rare pieces as it includes uh, a Valiant that originally flew as a bomber from Honington in Suffolk. Uh, the nose survived as a ground trainer at uh, Fetwell in uh, Feltwell, sorry, in Norfolk, when the airframe was scrapped in 1965. Then there's the Victor Cockpit a uh, X-ray Hotel 669, the second B2 model ever built. Uh, it was uh, later converted to become a tanker that was involved in the Black Buck raid uh, during the 1982 Falklands War. It retired by it was retired by Number 55 Squadron back in 1990. Equally important is the last surviving section of the B-2 bomber variant still in existence and the Vulcan, one of six B-2 converted into tankers during the Falklands conflict. Uh, both strate strategic bomber types played a role in aviation history. 
uh, operating in the Cold War and during the Falklands War when especially the Victor supported the Vulcan in one of the RAF's greatest missions of all time. If Towler can't find a buyer for the whole cockpit collection, he will have to sell off hundreds of parts individually and then scrap the rest. Uh, that would be such a shame considered when you consider the work that uh, he's done in the last four decades to preserve such a piece of history. Uh, this is an opportunity to go to a one-stop shop, me, to buy a ready-made museum. The buyer won't have to endure the pain, time and trouble I've been through to find instruments and panels, ejection seats and the countless parts required to assemble the cockpit. Towner said, uh, my ambition was to make these cockpits 100% correct so that former crews could find them as accurate as when they flew them. Most parts have been sourced in the UK. I've been known to drive to the north of Scotland for a part worth only a fiver, uh, but essential for the authenticity of the collection. Uh, according to Rick uh, Alex, I'm oh, sorry, there was a very loud bang here in the studio, which I'm a bit worried about. We'll, we'll <laughs> gloss over that and move on. Uh, so according to Rick Alexander, who is managing director, who is managing the sale on behalf of uh, Hanson's, the entire collection should achieve between 200,000 and 300,000 pounds. The story of the cockpits and many more details about the aircraft they belong to can be found at the Towler's V Bombers website. Uh, let's see what happens. If you have that much money to spend, you you have time until the 23rd of February to uh, place a bid. Good luck everyone. Um there we go. I mean, what a fascinating collection. I mean, but I, many questions, I suppose. What you know? Why is he selling it? I guess whether he's got nobody else would be interested in. It, you know, you know, he's sort of wanted Jonathan to retire Warner's and things. Got his credit card out. Has he? Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with that. Um, <laughs> good luck getting that past the missus. Yeah. So, yeah. Have we, what have we got in the Patreon fund? Have we got enough for that? Uh, maybe a seat. Yeah, yeah. Richard Adams is suggesting that we dip into the coffee fund, uh, obviously to uh, to do yeah. that. That's that's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a really cool collection, is it? I mean, there's got to be a museum out there somewhere that's going to go. Nuts it's it's going to be a, a museum. Like because... I hope so because yeah. I'd be so sad if this amazing achievement is split up. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it could be a private buyer. I mean, you'd have to have one hell of a big place or a house or a big garage to put these in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the... like John just said in our ear, a, a, a good place would be um, the Imperial oh, Duxford War would be amazing, isn't it? Yeah, but we're space. talking a lot of money here, though, aren't we? I mean, and the one well... thing that we do know is, yeah, but the one thing we do know at the moment is charities are struggling. Mm. I mean, there's no two. I don't. I don't know if there is. That's the bit that makes me so worried about, about a, a sale like this. Is I don't know if there is the money sloshing around. But three hundred thousand various... for three of. You know, three of the most or one of the more iconic kind of uh, bombers from uh, you know the Cold War kind of era. You know, three hundred, three hundred or four, sorry, four of them. Uh, three hundred thousand pound for all four of them. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not a bad price. I know, but it's a lot of money for somebody at the moment. As I say, yeah. incredible effort by by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I would hate I to hope... think that these would. These would be scrapped. I yeah, I hope this will all, all stay together. I really do. Mm. I really yeah. do. Well, a an interesting story. Thanks for that, Armando, as always. Mm. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, Armando will be back with us next week, we're hoping. So uh, yes. 
fingers crossed. Uh, okay, on to the next part of the show now, and I'm delighted to welcome back Captain Nick and the legend that is George Lee, as we continue learning all about his amazing gliding uh, career as we move back into uh, what he was doing uh, in the Air Force. <laughs> Go away. I don't need this. I know, but you, you were becoming a celebrity. You were leading the competition. I guess it was almost, you know, um, inevitable. So anyway, he peeled off after a while and I was on my own. So around the first tone point, around the second, and then on the last leg, and conditions were just worse and worse and worse. And I ended up making a tactical error. I was getting low. I thought, well, I don't think there's going to be much chance of more lift but the other class gliders, the standard class gliders, a whole heap of them suddenly arrived all around me. And the, the air was buoyant, but not really properly thermic. And I just got distracted and messed around with it, whereas stupidly, in retrospect, I should just have had my altitude just glide on as best glide angle, maximize distance. Uh, that's what I should have done and didn't do. So I ended up landing in a field below. And then the nervous wait to see how the kilometers, because it was a distance day rather than a speed day, how the points stacked up. And it ended up my cushion of points was sufficient, although I lost some, not as many as I thought. And I was indeed a world champion, which was wonderful. Oh, that must have been fabulous. Uh, a remarkable achievement. Uh, the first British victory for many years, I believe. Yes, Philip Wills won the previous, uh, who was the father of British gliding, really, you could call him. He won the single-seater uh, world title in Spain in 1952. There was a, a two-seat victory, uh, Nick Goodhart, senior naval officer, glider pilot. He actually won the two-seater class in 1956, but single-seat, yes, 52. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, now, I, I'm just before I ask you to describe this, the marvelous celebrations, um, it sounds like you had a really good ground crew uh, working with you. So they, they must have taken a, a good chunk of the responsibility for ensuring that you were in a position to show your skill and uh, win the competition. I'm glad you made the point, Nick, because ground crew is absolutely essential. A good ground crew at world championship level where the pressure is on, the tension, all the expense, the backing, you're representing your, your home country. Um, there's a lot of pressure. It's a pressure cooker. And a good ground crew will make sure that everything just runs seamlessly. The glider is prepared in good time. It's towed out to its designated position in the takeoff sequence in good time. And all the pilot has to do is if it's a hot country, stay in an air-conditioned room, look at the map, think about the task, weather forecast, likely start time, all of that sort of stuff, and relax, and then just go out in an air-conditioned car to the front of the glider and transfer from the car into the glider and ready and just get the mind and the little butterflies settle down. Good to have butterflies, that's good, but not too many. Ready, ready for the off. Yeah, yeah, good ground crew. And when the chips are really down, they can be tremendously helpful. For example, if I had done what I should have done on that last contest day and glid out for maximum distance, the crew were down there and I'm in radio contact with them and they could have picked me up by binoculars easily 
and then just looked at the fields for me as I'm progressing along. They're ahead of me. And I see them and the trailer, I see the field. And they look at all the hazards and everything. You say, no, that one's fine. No, I can get further. Okay, move on. The next one, yep, that's okay too. And you can just do, instead of a normal thing, which is inspecting the field and everything else, using precious altitude before you commit, they've done that work for you. And you can just do a straight in final, straight onto finals approach. Sounds like coordination was vital, but I, I'm sure they, as well as you, enjoyed the celebrations. Uh, now uh, you had become the world champion. It was quite a party that night, put it that way, Dick. And the, it went on very late. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at that time, again, not just because I was a bit of a loner, because sleep, getting sleep is a challenge in its own right when you go to all these different countries and maybe you're not sort of person that can go to sleep on the head of a pin. I had a tent actually over on the far side of the airfield, away from all the Olympic village, if you will, all the noise and everything else. I was over way away and all among the trees and the birds. And I do recall after that party finally retiring and the sky was starting to lighten and the birds were going. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, not much point in going to bed. <laughs> We had a team manager who was a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, he really was. And he was over the moon about the whole thing. And Marin, who was heavily pregnant at that time, was in Norway. And he actually arranged um, for uh, <laughs> team funds to get her over to join in the celebration. So she flew over from Oslo to um, Helsinki. And he arranged for a light aircraft, uh, would you believe, to pick her up there and actually fly her to the airfield at Reichskala. So bless her, she, uh, she was there for the whole, the whole thing. Oh, um, that's marvellous. What a lovely chat. Before long, I guess, you were back to your day job uh, on the Phantoms. It must have been an incredible change of pace from uh, fly one, flying a glider compared with the Phantom, and two, having been in a world competition, back to the daily grind of squadron life. It was hard, in, I guess, but I had enough time on the F-4 by that stage, so the check flight went smoothly, it went well, and I was back in, into the thick of it. So I don't recall any particular problems, no. Well, that's brilliant. And uh, it, that was around the time, uh, I think, uh, you were... Uh, now regularly uh, going to armament practice camps where we would uh, do our annual requalification in Airway Gunnery uh, in the early days in Malta and then Cyprus. Uh, I think um, I was probably not far from joining the squadron. I might even have been on the squadron at this point. Um, and uh, out in Cyprus, I, I definitely recall a couple of events. Uh, the first was your remarkably high air-to-air score, which is something I don't think that had been achieved before. And the other was a marvelous uh, demonstration of the power of the, uh, the gun we were using in front of the troops uh, there over on the cliffs at Cyprus. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> but if I can just back up one, the first exposure to going away somewhere far in the Phantom was actually on Six Squadron when we went all the way out to Singapore, uh, to Tenga Airfield in Singapore, via Dubai and Ghan in the Indian Ocean. That's a and long way. A long way. And this was my, again, I'm a first tourist. I had no idea about this stuff. I found out how uncomfortable an ejection seat is after 
four or five hours, <laughs> that's for sure. But I do certain pressure moments on that trip I, I stick vividly in my memory. One is the pressure of actually getting plugged in on the air-to-air refueling uh, slot that was de- a designated piece of airspace over France initially. And the weather wasn't great, so there was a bit of turbulence. And yeah, a lot of pressure because if you don't make that connection, you know, you're in a bit of trouble. Anyway, that was the first one. And then over Cyprus, the next plug in from memory, as the sun was coming up over the horizon, it was perfectly oriented that, that we were closing in on the basket straight into this rising sun. So, so, and the eyes, yeah, the eyes were yeah, feeling rather tired by that stage, shall we say. And then the next one, because it goes on, was after landing at Dubai, after all the cold soak at altitude, local time, it was stinking hot in Dubai. So we landed, turned off the active runway onto the parallel taxiway, hit, hit the lever to open up the canopy, wouldn't open. <laughs> oh, wouldn't, dear. Wouldn't open. Oh, no. Well, you'd have started cooking pretty quickly, wouldn't you? Very, very quickly. I thought this is actually quite serious. So I slowed right down and we did everything we could think of, pushing on the canopy, you name it. And finally, I guess it warmed up enough or whatever and relented and it opened and we were in you know, a lather of sweat. But anyway, that was a good outcome, I guess. And then the next leg into Ghan uh, was also interesting because, again, a cold soak at altitude for a long time, letting down to an airfield in the middle of the Indian Ocean with warm tropical air. There was a real misting problem on the letdown. So one had to stop periodically, lots of power and open every open the system up fully to let it clear and then down a bit more. And this carried on. And we didn't have a lot of fuel. So I was getting a bit nervous, but anyway, that all worked out pretty good. And then finally, the flying out of Singapore over the Malaysian jungle, low-level missions down really seriously low level. We're talking about fully tropical air, very hot, very humid, having to have the air conditioning set right up to an uncomfortably warm level to avoid warming, uh, to avoid misting up. So I'm fairly skinny guy but I reckon I lost pounds on every every one of those sorties you came back and the flying suit was just absolutely soaked completely soaked but I'm sorry to drag this one out but this this was my first exposure to so much and the highlight of that whole trip there was a requirement for a pair of F4s to go from Tenga up to and let down and land at Hong Kong's Kai Tak and that oh, was I thought Wow. And the boss was in the lead of this pair and he chose me as number two, which was I felt a great honor. So up we went with our tanker support all the way up to Hong Kong. The tanker stayed in the overhead circling around in case we had a problem and needed to plug in and get fuel and divert to Manila. Fortunately, that didn't happen. So we let down and the dear old Kai Tak the threshold on runway 13, that's the southeasterly runway, of course, is displaced considerably so that aircraft coming around the famous corner are uh, high, sufficiently high, not only to miss the, high, the, the high-rise flats, but also there was a, a flyover just before the airfield boundary. And uh, one needed to have adequate clearance over that. But because the F-4 had... 
as you remember, Nick, pretty appalling brakes that were designed for carrier operation and not much else. And we had a brake chute that occasionally failed and fell out like a bundle of dirty laundry out the back. So (laughs) that was no good at all. The boss landed, of course, first, and he got onto the parallel taxiway. And I came in behind. And the landing itself, the old heart rate was right up there, that's for sure. And my backseater, I don't think he was watching the airspeed too much. He was looking out at the, the apartments going by. And every 100 feet lower we went, his voice went up another octave. <laughs> i'm focused out front (laughs) so anyway that all worked well and then to share the goodies around another pair of crews were flown up by hercules and they flew the f4 back down to tenga and the boss and i were flown back to singapore by Cathay pacific 707 business class how nice oh very nice Uh, and very rare in the air force to let you move up from economy So that was the first time I flew in a 707 as a passenger. And I recall looking out the windows and seeing these engine pods doing extraordinarily interesting maneuvers and feeling, well, I guess the engineers knew what they were doing. It looked pretty distressing. Brilliant then. So let's go back to uh, Edaway Gunnery. Um, Those two events I I recalled, uh, what was that like? Uh, 92.5% Edaway Gunnery score? Fabulous. If you want to improve your 737 knowledge, why not attend one of our live technical refresher courses? These two-day webinars are not just a Zoom call, nor are they just an instructor stood in front of a whiteboard. Our professional production team in their London studio uses the latest technology to bring you a fully interactive and engaging experience. Ask your instructor questions live at any time. For more information and to sign up, visit 737lounge.com. Go. And a big thanks to Captain Nick for that awesome piece again. And I know. Uh, it's safe to say there's a lot of love in the chat room for that piece. Even yeah. Lane says, uh, what an interesting fellow, Lane said earlier. Wow, I think um, it's the most serious thing he said like in the last two weeks, isn't it? <laughs> Richard Adams... <laughs> Don't start him. Okay. Richard Adams says, fascinating man. So it's uh, safe to say that they are, have been a very interesting uh, mm. set of interviews. So uh, uh, Mark, we've Mark got a Priest- few more left, haven't we, Matt? Oh, there's plenty left, believe yeah. me. Mark yeah. Priestley saying, hidden scenario that this chap had to overcome real flying respect, which is, uh, mm. yeah, quite, quite, quite. Actually, the same. one of the questions someone has asked me uh, uh, yes. on social media, Matt, is are these going to be released on YouTube as a. A separate entity. Uh, my understanding is yes, very much in the same way that uh, many people may remember the uh, John Hutchinson series that Nick yeah. did for us uh, this time last year. I think we were airing that actually, if I remember correctly. Um, and um, yes, I- indeed, uh, the interview will be released in its individual parts on uh, YouTube when we've completed the oh, series. Good. But uh, yeah, at the moment we're, uh, we're we're including it. Yeah, sort of like probably mid to end March, I would say, as a rough guesstimate. But no, when we, when the series is complete. It, it will be available on the old U of Tube. Excellent. Looking forward to that. So we have got some listener feedback, haven't we, guys? Which is we have nice. very excited some bits about that have that. been sent in, mm. and uh, we've had a few stories that have been sent in by listeners. One of which is a story from uh, our birthday girl, who's in the chat room. Whoop, whoop. 
Laura Davis. So, Nev, what has Laura sent in to me? Yes, well, happy birthday again to you, Laura. And, uh, yes, she sent in uh, this story from AP News, uh, which says that a man has been arrested in Berlin on allegations he made radio contact with air traffic, including police helicopters, and gave fake flight orders whilst impersonating an aviation official. Uh, German police said uh, last week. Uh, the 32-year-old, whose identity wasn't released in line with German privacy laws, was arrested on Thursday night uh, of last week in the capital's eastern uh, Kopernik uh, district, police said. Uh, police were able to swoop in on his apartment after he made contact with a police helicopter that was dispatched to the neighbourhood in the hope of flushing him out. Uh, during a search of his home, police found two radios that transmitted on the frequencies needed to make contact with aircraft. For anyone who's been asking about our police uh, helicopter operations, uh, an un unusual arrest, uh, P uh, Berlin police tweeted, with a link to more details. The man is alleged to have made contact with pilots of passenger and transport aircraft, as well as state and federal police helicopters over the past six months, giving potentially dangerous instructions and becoming increasingly professional with his communications. No accidents or other incidents are known to have been caused by his actions, police said. That's a very, very dangerous thing to do. And mm. uh, um, I'm glad that they caught him. That's all I can say. Uh, Agreed. But this is not the first time this sort of thing has happened uh, in the past, is it? No. No, indeed. Uh, thank you very much to Laura for sending that in. Uh, main man Mike is saying, does anybody know if Tillman has, has an airband radio? <laughs> right, OK, we'll, we'll gloss over that and move on. We'll, we'll say yes, why not? Uh, OK, uh, we were very lucky. <laughs> we were very lucky also to be contacted this week uh, by Stefan Kraus. Now, he very kindly sent in a fascinating story, actually, uh, referring to a 747-430, which is about to be recycled, that was actually based at uh, uh, the Hamburg Airport. I'll put the link to the show notes, uh, put the link to the story, sorry, in the show notes, but he's very kindly summarised it for us uh, in the WhatsApp message he very kindly sent to us, plus 4475. Seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to get in touch using the WhatsApp number, and he basically said, uh, "Guys, this this story is in German, uh, but the sixty-one-year-old Boeing seven four seven four three zero is said to be recycled." Uh, the Hamburg airport issued a press release yesterday. Uh, I think this one was one of the f last few Dash four hundred versions still with the Rolls Royce engines. Uh, and then he sort of mentions how actually it might be particularly of interest to Carlos uh, because <laughs> uh, the parts are about to be auctioned. Uh, by the company involved in the article. Um, and basically, is saying that the airport is basically saying that due to COVID that they've had to reduce all their costs and therefore she needs to be scrapped. Uh, the airport bought the aircraft uh, from Lufthansa Technik, uh, where she was used as a maintenance trainer back in 1975, for the nominal sum of one euro. Besides film work and being used as a de-icing trainer seasonally, she basically sits on unused land next to the fire station what cost the airport has is a mess mystery and they also don't get uh, they're also not very clear on this there is a local 707 society that would provide manpower to keep the aircraft from falling apart however that's all the 707 has been doing in the last years with uh, no known investments done 
and the personnel of the society are not even allowed to go anywhere near the airplane at the moment uh, for uh, for a few leaves, allegedly, allegedly due to the heightened security restrictions, etc. Uh, but a, a truly a fascinating story. Um, they mm. bought it back in 1999, uh, the airport. Uh, they bought this particular aircraft. Um, but yeah, a great uh, story there. So thank you for sending that in, Stefan. And uh, as I say, if anybody else wants to get in touch with the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. As I say, the WhatsApp number is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Richard Adams, by the way, is suggesting uh, that uh, Carlos, uh, you know what to do with your premium bond <laughs> win now. All that whole um, twenty five pounds could well be spent, well, especially if it was only one euro to the airport. I could probably afford actually one of those. The, the Dash 400 was powered by um, a lot of some people we know the Rolls Royce Con, uh, Conway engines, right? And um, they were so easy to sit or spot between all the other different types of engines that yeah, powered the 707. As, because as, as usual, on the course. back, on the back of the engine, it had what looked like rockets all around the, the back of right. the actual ex- exhaust on the engine. Yeah, you're making this sound like if you actually had this conversation with your wife, the answer would be yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, no is the short answer. Je, uh, Jennifer is uh, Jennifer. Sorry, is saying we have a Cravel, Caravel, uh, a Caravel. Oh, awesome. Sorry, sitting really nice, uh, at, uh, by our airport fire station. There are plans to hopefully get it saved to a museum, but we'll see. The yeah. French, the French-built Caravel had really bizarre-shaped um, windows. Oh, did it? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Why is that? Why? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, most most windows are oval-shaped. Yes, yes. They have a sort of kind of uh, yeah. If you look at the Caravel windows, they're kind of like a, a almost a pear-shaped kind of window. Mm. Yeah. A- any desire on on your part, Nev, to rescue a um, Ailing aircraft well, would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yes, definitely. I think that would be that would be great. But uh, well, yes, what you got behind space, you there? Uh, oh, that's um, a, a Dassault Falcon 2000, oh, uh, nice. formerly uh, run by uh, JCB. But I had the pleasure of flying on the jump seat of that aircraft from uh, East Midlands Airport to Le Bourget uh, no back in the day, uh, end of '99, I think it was. Wow, so, get yes. you! That was a lot of fun. I've got to say, yeah. Ah, uh, but yes, lack of uh, funds and uh, space. Uh, to put uh, historic aircraft in. and uh, as they uh, you know uh, like lightning thanks very much to producer john as always here uh, there is uh, the cravel uh, in all its glory mm. look there you yeah. go yeah look you, at that you, air you, france you look you can nearly see there that they have just these bizarre sh- you can yeah, actually they look yeah, like teardrops see. teardrops yes. is this best yes. way to, or, yes. or as i like to refer to them pear drops but that's because i'm a obsessed with anything involving sugar sweets yeah mm. absolutely yeah, fair <laughs> point. yeah indeed well uh, guys that that's it that's the show more or less done so what's coming up on next week's show i don't know what's coming up next week's show we got any any yeah ah yes we have got something special got a very special guest show. actually yeah, if a I special recall, guest yeah, yeah. and uh i think we, we, we can say which company oh absolutely yeah very from. much yeah, so. we, yeah 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 yeah, we've got a guest joining us on next week's show from a company that everyone should know who loves aviation. That is a company, Honeywell, who, as you know, produce many, many different parts and pieces to go with the aviation uh, industry. So, yeah. And we've got is it Jim Curry, who is the uh, president. Curry, the, yeah. Jim Curry, yeah, who's the president. Uh, the EU 
European, European president, president of yeah. uh, Honeywell. Very exciting. Should be good. Yeah, we'll yeah it's going to be a good interview. So uh, get your thinking caps on, guys. We want lots of amazing questions from you. As I know, our chat room won't let us down. Um, but yeah, we're we're talking about aircraft um, sort of hygiene and things. That's our topic of conversation uh, yeah. next week. Uh, so no doubt uh, our stories will be focused around that. And actually, genuinely, guys, if you've got uh, any experiences you want to share with us, ha- having sort of flown in these COVID times, I know Neville no doubt have a, a few things he can add to our conversation but uh, if you guys have been uh, lucky enough to be doing a bit of flying we'd love to hear your experiences about what you've experienced uh, in these times flowing flying uh, at thing with things he's thinking about so wine again get he's thinking about wine with the show it's your passenger expectations and, and all that mm. kind of thing so yeah uh sort of uh yeah and uh he's going to be talking about sort of you know passenger expectations going forward out of this this whole covid uh thing mm. but uh, as i say we'd love to hear your experiences about that uh podcast at plain talking or plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six if you want to get in touch via whatsapp and don't forget also to put in your diary or on your calendar in your office the 12th of March. Oh, so excited that about this. that will be episode so 360. And uh, that is going to be our special uh, International Women's Day special show on mm. the 12th of March. So make sure you put that on your calendars to watch. Are we allowed to say who's joining us yet? Uh, yeah, go on, Matt. Tell everyone. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. First of all, it's going to be we've borrowed the legend that is Dr. Steph from yeah. APG. She, she will be in charge of proceedings. The uh, long suffering Megan Carrion will be joining us, uh, sh- who will be uh, joining us to keep things uh, keep things together. She's going to be playing my role, I think, is the, the best mm. way to describe that as someone who doesn't know as much about aviation as they probably <laughs> should do on an aviation based podcast. And uh, yes, uh, we've got uh, Jody Rieger, who's also going to be joining us again, which we're really excited about too. So it is really going to be quite the special show. So do make sure that. Uh, you, you stay in touch uh, with us for us for that, uh, and uh, yeah, that that that's how. Yeah, how me and Nev will be, be on a me and Nev and Matt and Armando will be on a separate Zoom call, drinking yeah, beer, yeah. watching the We're, show. Yes, that's the thing. We're not going yeah. to be here. That's that's no. the most amazing thing about it. They're they're in charge. Uh, ne- Carlos has already told us that he's going to be watching the show from his big screen downstairs <laughs> with popcorn. I expect pictures of this, oh, by the way. Yes. Absolutely, but oh, it's yes. to say absolutely. But it's International Women's Day, and so uh, quite rightly, we're letting the women take charge and that is on was that the 12th did i hear you say yeah the 12th yeah, of the march, 12th yeah, of march friday the 12th of march really exciting so uh mm. if you are someone who is working in aviation I, this sounds terrible saying if you are a female working in aviation we'd love to hear from you um but uh, but more because we want to inspire others we want to dispel oh, yes. that myth that um aviation is something that is only targeted at men it's just going to be uh, amazing so uh, if you are uh, a lady who's working in the world of aviation we want to hear your story get in touch plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six or podcast at plain talking uk dot com there was a message that popped up on screen from lane, oh, lane. i am ignoring it i'll be oh, honest bless him. <laughs> thank you but, yeah really exciting yeah. anyway time to wrap up carlos 
Yeah, so social media links before we go then. If you don't already know, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget our WhatsApp number if you want uh, your picture to appear on Matt's, mine or Nev's green screen. Uh, you can uh, send us a message into plus four four seven five seven two two. Four nine one six six. Don't forget as well. You can email the show if you want to send us in some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, podcast at so. plaintalkinguk.com. You can also send your uh, bits in there for the plain truths if you've got an idea for what you want Matt and Al to talk about. And also the website, all the w's dot You can click on there, and uh, our glorious website is on there, which is designed very nicely by Matt. And there's all links on there to our Patreon if you want to become a patron of the show and uh, help to push the show forward you can oh you can donate through paypal through there as well it also the links on there to our shop where you can get yourself an awesome ptuk t-shirt or polo shirt actually as well if you can uh, get a t-shirt with all the names and stuff on there you can also get yourself a mug if you want a ptuk mug you can have a nice coffee mug uh, which i'm sure um is a well, it's a must, really, for any uh, mm. uh, coffee uh, drink or tea Indeed. drinker. Uh, we'll, and... we'll be doing more details about our wonderful Patreon donators uh, next mm. week, um, because even in this time, we've been we've been so lucky to gain a few more subscribers this, we have. this month, which yeah. is just going to be fantastic. So, really, so quick excited. rundown, Matt. What are you doing next week? Uh, selling wine. And Nev, what are you doing next week? So I did, so I did this week, uh, but not quite as much. John, right. what are you doing next week? <laughs> Can't well done, answer that you. question. Okay, yeah. And so uh, we're going to say a big thanks to everyone in the YouTube chat room for joining us tonight. Massive thanks to all the people in there for tuning in tonight and also not forgetting everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast. Thank you to you as well. So from me, Carlos, here in the P2K studio at home, from Matt in the P2K Master Studio, from Nev in his Nev Tech Studios, and from the glorious John, who does all our pre-production work in his studio. Take care, everyone. Have a safe weekend, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.